Movement Rio Media presents A Few Good Physios with Dr. Eric Munoz and Dr. Leonidas Scantolides. You can't handle the truth. What is physical therapy? More research. More research. True therapeutic effect. Join us each week as we discuss current trends in medicine, rehabilitation, and strength and conditioning. The answers are out there. All content is a collaboration between On Point Sports Care and Integrated PT Squared. A Few Good Physios is not medical advice and is used for educational purposes only. If you are having pain and or health-related complaints, please seek out a licensed healthcare professional. Thank you for downloading. Enjoy. All right, episode 19 of Few Good Physios. Welcome back. Here today, we are honored to have Sarah Dimmick. Uh, from, she's a co-owner of Physical Equilibrium. It is a gym here in the city in Manhattan, and they cater to all sorts of uh, clientele, uh, working with Eric as well in his office that he rents out. Yes, and Sarah and I go go back pretty far. <laughs> I'll let her introduce herself and, and introduce how we all know each other. Yeah. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me, guys. This is really cool. This is my first podcast ever. So Really? Yeah. Um, Welcome. <laughs> so I know Eric because we started as personal trainers way back. Um, we're dating ourselves, but in, uh, <laughs> I met him around the year 2000 when I started working as a personal trainer at New York Sports Club. Oh, I did not know that. So. I, I honestly thought it was just from uh, the recent connection. No, 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 no. no. Oh. We go back. Wow. I mean, when um, we started our careers there. Mm-hmm. So that's crazy. We rose the ranks of mm-hmm. master trainer. <laughs> um, we saw a lot of uh, a lot of clients. It was like a high volume. Yeah. It was a high volume situation where we were seeing like seven or eight yeah a day but it was it was a great starting point for our career um went our separate ways and then more recently as in like this year sarah reached out and it was a perfect fit you know renting space uh with her physical equilibrium and weiss wellness Mm -hmm. wow yep so after new york sports club how i became owner or co-owner of physical equilibrium is i was at the big chain gym and just realized that's not, after a few years, that's not really what I wanted to do. It wasn't, um, I, maybe I would say flexible enough to really create the kind of program design that I was looking for with my clients or have the flexibility that I could have with uh, the type of clientele that I wanted to work with. So I branched out and took the leap and started my own business by myself. Wow. And um, that was back in 2004. And then since then, have been just growing slowly. Met uh, my business partner, Sarah Curry. She was one of the first trainers that I hired. Mm. And she worked under me, with me, and a few other trainers. And then uh, I brought her on as a partner because she got her master's degree in nutrition from NYU. So then she's helped build the nutrition side of the business, of the wow. personal training, nutrition, and wellness uh, side of the business. So That's awesome. Um, and then, you know, we grew and grew, and we're working out, a, out of a personal training-only facility for a long time, and then really just outgrew that and uh, have teamed up with Elise Weiss from Weiss Wellness and created more of like a wellness center, personal training small group fitness facility Mm. that is supported by Dr. Weiss and her practitioners who are physical therapists, chiropractors, 
Um, Eric is one of them that works out of that space too. Yeah, how long has it been in Weiss Wellness? Is that was just recent or that was from 2004? Um, we met Dr. Weiss probably about eight years ago wow. and have established that relationship and have really been working with her closely, um, mm. sharing some of the same patients and clients. And we knew that we always wanted to build something together. And that's, you know, culminated in what we have right now. So cool. the opening of Physical Equilibrium at, um, at 515 Madison. That's great. Really cool to see um, the multidisciplinary approach. You know, while I'm treating patients, you'll have like a Pilates instructor working with someone. There'll be a meditation class. There'll be a yoga class. There's a strength. You know, there's all. It's really cool to see that multidisciplinary approach, or even having the doctor work out mm -hmm. herself there. Yep. So it's pretty cool. You know, thinking back to like two or three years ago when. Um, the corporate position I was in was getting a little uh, contentious, I would say. It was a change, a change of pace. I, I wrote down the people I'd like to partner up with, like an ideal situation, and it was doctor, physiatrist, yoga instructor, personal trainer, massage therapy, new clinic, clean look, nice. So <laughs> You just described where you were? Yeah, yeah, I, I really I, I wrote it down, and I just forgot about it. And then recently, yeah. I looked, I was throwing stuff out, and I was like, wow, <laughs> spot on to what Weiss Wellness is. Uh, so it, it was it's pretty crazy. The power, I, I'm a big believer of writing things down, goals, you know, ask, whatever it is, but there, there's a power in writing if, if uh, the younger generations even know what writing is but um writing for this like, make a, a note in your ipad yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. but it's pretty cool to see the growth i mean and you know i've been following sarah from time to time looking i, I, I was on your mailing list mm -hmm. so i was like wow she's she hired another trainer mm -hmm. she's partnering <laughs> up with the iron man so you you also have a bit of an endurance background Yes. Um, you chatted a little bit about the triathlon, the tri community that you also work with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I've been doing triathlons myself since about 2006. Yeah. I got into them actually because I had a lot of clients who um, had knee problems or back problems and maybe a little bit older and... Uh, you know, there's only so much you can do with them in a fitness facility. And I really mm -hmm. thought I would recommend to them, you should get in the pool and swim. And they would look at me and go, I, I can't swim. I, 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 can't, I won't want to get my hair wet. I don't want to go in a public <laughs> pool in New York City. And, uh, and I thought to myself, when I'm old and I have very little, you know, lubrication in my joints, I want to be able to know how to swim for fitness and swim laps or at least you know, stay in shape that way. So, yeah. um, plus I was kind of getting tired of that gym atmosphere. I, I actually, my background is a professional dancer and that's what led me to New York and led me into fitness. Um, so I wasn't really, I didn't grow up in the gym as a gym rat. So, um, it was, while it was very, it's very exciting to learn all these new exercises and lift heavy weights and things. Um, I always, I like to do things outside of the gym with no equipment, and mm. so I also thought that learning how to swim would be a good mix into the other types of exercise that I did. So I hired a swim coach and got into swimming. Mm. Um, actually, he was a triathlon coach, and he said to me on our first lesson, <clears throat> um, okay, you need to sign up for a race. 
And I said, no, I'm just hiring you to learn how to swim. And he said, well, you can bike and you can run and I'm going to teach you how to swim. So you should just sign up for a triathlon. (laughs) And I was like, you're crazy. But I, I mean, he was like, you need a goal. You need something to work towards. And that, I think Uh, that was actually very good advice. Um, And so he was very good at training clients for specific goals. So I listened to him and we, I signed up for my first sprint triathlon and trained all summer with him and um, did my first race. And, while it was mediocre at best, I wasn't fast. I did okay and um, kind of fell in love with the sport and decided to keep going. And then um, my clients saw me doing it and some of them were interested. So I thought, well, I, maybe I should just get my coaching certification. Um, so I did that. Um, that was very cool. I did. I went out to Colorado Springs and in Colorado at the U.S. Athletic or Olympic Training Center. Wow. And so I was able to visit that center during our training for USA triathlon cert and um, work with some of the people at the Olympic training center that work with the athletes there Mm. on the team. And, um, that was, that was very, very cool. Um, and then, you know, brought that, that education back to my clients here and then have gotten, um, more certifications as I've gone along and more education. I mean, now with technology using GPS and power data on your bike and, Mm. um, lots of, you know, not just heart rate anymore. So it's a lot of other data that we can analyze. And I use Training Peaks. I don't know if you're familiar with that software, no. but it's called Training Peaks. And I'm a Training Peaks certified coach. So I, no. um, some, some clients come through that software when they're looking for a coach mm-hmm. and other clients find me in New York as well. And then I coach people for anything from sprint triathlon to, uh, Ironman triathlon to marathons. I'm currently training right now myself for the New York City Marathon that, this yeah. year. Um, so, yeah. That's very cool. So when did the try, how back, um, dating back to when you started your, your business, when did you start the swimming uh, and did the tries? What year, you think? That was around 2006. So I had formed physical equilibrium or kind of this, like, you know, myself training by myself in 2004, 2006 is when right. I started doing triathlon, and then I brought on some new other trainers to work with me. Very cool. Um, so that's kind of how it started. Um, but, you know, physical equilibrium is really, um, you know, we all of our trainers on staff have a similar philosophy in, you know, balancing between strength, endurance, and flexibility, and and now we've really added in the post rehab and uh, injury prevention aspect to our our um, training as well. So, That's you know, so I'm important. partnering with the physical therapists and doctors. That's great. So, in terms of the differences with um, triathlons, for someone who doesn't know, a sprint triathlon would be the the three events, and how long would be each? Uh, for a swing, yeah, swing so the run. sprint is the shortest version, um, and you know mostly beginners would start there. But uh, even at the national level, people are super advanced and they're so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's anywhere between. It's usually a quarter mile to a half mile swim. The sprint distance is usually a little bit um, varied, and then the bike is anywhere between maybe eight to sixteen miles on the bike and then the run is usually a 5k run 
Sometimes it's shorter. Sometimes it's a two mile. So I would say anywhere between a two mile and a 5K run. Wow. So that's your shortest distance for triathlon. Mm -hmm. Then the next would be Olympic distance. And uh, New York has a very famous one, the New York City triathlon. That they usually do like in the hottest month yeah, of July, the year. Yeah, and you <laughs> jump into the Hudson River oh. and you swim a mile. So it's a mile oh, swim in the Hudson River. And then, it's, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's a 40K bike and a 10K run. Wow. I mean, th- even so. the sprint, I'm, I was just thinking about it. I was like, I can't do any of those right now. Like, no not in a row. way. Throw you in, in the river. I would, I would need a <laughs> life jacket. I would need to get rescued. No, I mean, you train. I mean, at the yeah, end of the I day. Think, I think actually any of these endurance sports, even marathon, I, I think anybody who trains smartly for it and gives themselves enough time to do it, mm-hmm. Uh, can do it, can complete it. I mean, mm. some people are more gifted athletically than other people, but I think anybody could train to do it. Um, I agree. I mean, I've I've seen, I've had people come to me three months before a full Ironman with very little training and say, I signed up for this Ironman race. I want, I need a coach. I'm going to do it in three months. And I'm like... <sighs> That's really tight. Like, I really <laughs> yeah. like at least a year yeah. for an Ironman. Usually two years. I like two years build up for an Ironman. If they're starting to train for it. Yeah. If they haven't wow. done, like, say, you know, say the person's like an avid just like spin class person and can run a 10K. Like, you really mm. need, you need like a year to ramp up to a full, a full Ironman is 2.4 mile swim. 110 oh. mile bike and then you run the marathon so basically after you've already been out there for most of the day mm-hmm. then you get off your bike and you run a marathon so insane i mean the bike portion 110 <laughs> miles. miles that's like six set, hours yeah. for like a normal person <laughs> I, have a, I would love to have this gentleman on the show i, I had a patient that th- has done three oh three iron mans i think he did an ultra Mm-hmm. He ran 100 miles, and mm-hmm. he did some crazy rim-to-rim thing out in the southwest. He's a, he's a Endur- crazy, Yeah, endurance he's a sports crazy. and athletes are a different animal. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he... But, but you, I, I agree with you. You know, watching, uh, watching the marathon, I'm always inspired by the shapes and sizes of the people and, and working... As a physical therapist, that was one of our one of the clinics we previously worked at. That was the busiest time of the mm-hmm. year. We were we had so many marathoners, and you know they gave themselves six months to a year. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them have no athletic background, mm-hmm. and, and they complete it. and And it's really inspiring. I mean, in November when I watch this, it, it it's always like next year. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but it is. I, I agree with you. You know, with training. It really, I mean, they're not, they may not break any records, but they'll complete it. Yeah, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, there was um, an article in the Times about a marathon or this pot that you. Oh, read of that? course, yeah, that's all over oh, social media. The um, I don't know the gentleman's name, but in the Berlin Marathon, he yes. broke the world record yes. for the marathon two two hours and yes. one minute. Oh. Yeah, he's running really fast. Oh my god! It, did you watch him? <laughs> he's he didn't run a half so marathon that fast. No, exactly. People exactly. were calc- they wanted to. A lot of people on social media were trying to like give some appreciation to how fast, fast. he was going. Yeah. So they broke it down. Like the, I think he was doing a hundred meters in about seventeen seconds, which is very very fast. And for they had a, a mm-hmm. shot towards the end, I think it was mile 18, where there was a, a kid 
who maybe looked like he was 12 or 13, and he was running as fast as he could on the sidewalk to keep up with him, and he lasted, like, a block. Yeah. And he, and he when he crossed the finish line, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm going to die after running. He was he ran to his coach, and he gave him a big hug, and his coach was probably, like, 25 feet away, 50 yeah. feet away, and he looks, you know, he looked so happy, didn't look tired at all. I just, I just ran 26.2 miles at record pace. It was incredible. Really amazing. I think they're, they're working on... That I, I saw a special on trying to break the two-hour mark, mm. yeah, yeah. and he actually came the closest. Mm-hmm. This guy. I mean, it's yeah, it's. Uh. It, I mean, it's it's a non-ideal situation. I mean, it's not a realistic situation because they have pace runners throughout the whole marathon. So it, he had a lot of support, and mm. um, but still, I mean, it's still an amazing feat. But this, I mean, obviously, this is an elite level. Mm. Whether it's elite or it's a sixty-five-year-old that never ran before in their life, I mean, it's still. It's still possible. Yeah. Very inspiring. So next uh, topic of uh, so post free. Oh, so you started with try training. Mm -hmm. It seems like you got into that world. Where was the shift with the post rehab? Because we we reunited after that as well. (laughs) Yep. So, Mm. I mean, as a trainer and you're seeing lots of clients, somebody's going to get an injury somehow. Um or even yourself as a trainer, you're going to get an injury mm-hmm. uh, if you're an active person. So, you know, it was just, uh, I took this course, Mike Jones out of uh, Houston yes. has a course. If you, you can Google postrehab.com, that's mm-hmm. his course. And medical exercise specialist is, are the, you know, post rehab and medical exercise specialist are the two certifications that he teaches. And, uh, I got that certification because I wanted to learn more about injuries. I wasn't going to go to physical therapy school like Eric. Um, I didn't want to. I actually didn't want to go back to school, but I wanted Good, to yeah. learn. Good, I really, exactly. <laughs> sorry. I wanted to learn more about injuries so that I could help my clients. And um, you know, I thought that certification was really, really good because it teaches you one the common injuries that you're going to see as a personal trainer. So meniscus tears, knee replacement, hip replacement, labral tears, rotator cuff tears, tendonitis, tendonitis, (laughs) disc herniations, um, muscle strains, pulls, that kind of thing. Um, And so what it does is it teaches you what that injury is, gives you a little bit of maybe if there's a surgical fix or if it's just like a rehab fix, what either the doctor or the physical therapist does to help that patient. So you can kind of just understand what the treatment is and what your client has been through. And then the, the transition from physical therapy of what the physician is doing into what you can do as a trainer once you get them, once they're released from physical therapy. Because as you guys know, you've worked in big clinics, you know, people get like, 85, 90% better. And then you kind of like push them off. I mean, yeah, you guys are trainers. All their reasons to get pushed yeah. off. <laughs> I mean, insurance. their insurance, insurance picks them yeah. off. Right, um, right. You know, you guys are trainers and you can you could continue to work with them, but you can't work with all of your patients no, either. No. So it's not realistic. So, um, you know, who is, you know, bridging that gap between physical therapy and back to the gym? And, um, 
really what I'm seeing too in the fitness industry are these classes that people are coming from or training programs that people are on are very, very intense. And there's not that much in between somebody getting injured and then somebody going back into their program. So, you know, that's where our job comes in. And that's what we specialize in at Physical Equilibrium is taking people from physical therapy, kind of bumping up their PT exercises to the next level, progressing them slowly, safely. Um, If they have a setback, send them back to PT or send them back to the doctor Mm -hmm. and then continue on their training back into either their active lifestyle or back into the classes they want to take or back into their marathon or triathlon training or just continue to push them in the gym and maybe um, after they get stronger than maybe like my business partner works on with their diet and their nutrition and, mm. um, you know, that aspect of their, their health and wellness too. I, uh, the medical exercise specialty, it was, um, must've been before PT school. I remember taking mm-hmm. that, that certification. It was comprehensive. I mean, it was intense. This was back in the days where I think it was like a DVD and mm-hmm. like a binder. Yep. Yep, so that's it when was I took lot, it. It was, yeah. it was a lot of material. Yeah. Um, so it was like a self-study. Um, the gentleman, Mike, Mike Jones. Mike Jones. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a DPT. He's a do, uh, physical therapist. And it was a really great overview, just like you mm-hmm. explained, where common injuries, very similar to PT school, common injuries, anatomy, mm-hmm. um, general interventions, red flags. Yep. So he really was like a pioneer in, in trying to bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of his little slogans was bridging yep. the gap. And at the time, no one was doing no. that. You know, no one really was connecting, PT, you know, rehab into fitness. And What year was it? Oof, 50, it was about 15 or 17 years ago. So mm-hmm. Somewhere in that. Yeah. I, two, I think I took my, my cert in 2009, maybe. And so, he had been out for a while. Been out, yeah, been at least out for 10 a years. few years. At least yeah. seven, probably like seven years. I remember one of our coworkers, Nathaniel, um, mm-hmm. he was, I think he had taken that. But um, now, you know, fast forward to 2018. Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Everybody. <laughs> now you got trainers doing, you know, they're, 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 the gap is, is kind of flipped around, you know. And, and you mentioned uh, I, we've had this discussion uh, multiple times on the podcast and privately, but... In my opinion, there's much, trainers are doing much better things these days for some, you know, mildly injured patient patients that are kind of they're not a high risk situation. Mm-hmm. They have, let's say, knee pain, back pain, whatever they have going on. I see a lot of trainers doing much better things than uh, if they went to therapy and the therapist told them stop moving. Yeah, don't or do don't it. squat. Don't don't, squat. don't do a squat. <laughs> don't I mean, don't lunge. Don't. God forbid yeah. they have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, right. Or sit down in a chair. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, you know, so we see this happening and the trend, that trend, the the, the fact that you, you know, got yourself and your staff educated on it. And I see it. I see, I see the staff there very mindful, very meticulous about certain, you know, about form and and this happy balance. Cause let's get, you know, some of the Pete, the rehab stuff can be very monotonous and boring and it doesn't have to be, I think, you know there's a certain mindset or a certain protocol that says, oh, with this injury, you got to have to do X, Y, and Z. And what I'm learning, you know, in the last, you know, seven or eight years is it's really, it really depends. And mm-hmm. it really depends. Like if you, 
you took a, a triath a triathlete, and you have him doing clamshells for six months, it's probably not going to really be too helpful. Or you take a martial artist, and you have him doing you know terminal knee extension, mm-hmm. I don't think that's going to be too helpful. Mm-hmm. But um, this bridging the gap yeah. is, is something that Lee and I are. Um, like a lifelong mission, actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and this is something that we've uh, we've talked about a lot on, on the podcast before, and as trainers ourselves, before physical therapists, uh, these uh, these certifications are almost essential, I think, for trainers who want to actually stay in personal training as a job because inevitably, like you said, they're going to have somebody who's going to come in with an injury or after an injury, whatever it may be. And the more information, the better regarding what are the options. That way you can kind of make an assessment, see what you could do, what what would what, what would not be good for them and or kind of refer out what, you know, that mm-hmm. whole scenario that you're describing. And I, I think it's I think it's essential. It, I think every person who wants to, you know, have a, a, a good amount of clientele and also um, for trainers who want to be in the business. And um, in establishing that credibility, I think you've done a great job with, with what you're doing with all the doctors. You're, you're, they're, they're amazing referral sources if that line of communication is held. And, and understand sending people back mm-hmm. when they're in that not yeah. even gray area. They're in the red zone. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. let's, let's yeah. stop. Yeah. I, the patient appreciates, the client appreciates that. You know, the medical professional appreciates that. And that's how relationships are built. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty cool to post post rehab, and another thing we were discussing before we we went live is um, the trends. And you know, Sarah has done a lot of market research, um, and you know Lee and I, we've all in this room we've been through uh, fitness. We've been in fitness for a while, mm-hmm. and there's been some interesting trends. Some of them are sticking, some of them are not. But uh, let us know your experience on your market research. Yeah. So when we we were trying to build our own space I knew that I wanted to have a studio for classes and uh, I had taught classes a lot as a trainer um, but I hadn't been to other people's studios all the hot new trendy studios you know all the people's names in there and <laughs> the letters and you know and all my clients were telling me oh I came in and took this class and I took this class and went to this spin studio and I was like okay well you know, before we built our gym, I was like, I'm going to go take some of these classes and see mm. what's really happening out here. And I was actually shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I And I kept a log. I, I have it. Actually, I could probably show it to you. But I kept a log because I was thinking, you know, I, I we were already so entrenched in this post-rehab personal training kind of tracked and mm. focusing with Dr. Weiss. And, you know, I, I thought about my clients and I kind of each after each during each class and after each class I would kind of give each class a rating and I would think about clients with I would have like neck and cervical injury shoulder injuries <laughs> lower back disc herniation injuries <laughs> hip injuries knee ankle and then and I would go through the class and I'd be like is this class safe for this person and right. like you know there were there were definitely a few classes that I found in the city that I was like, wow, this is, you know, these people are doing something really good. And I could send my clients here and I could, for the most part, think that they're getting a safe workout if they're listening. Um, And then there were other places where I was like, holy crap, no way. (laughs) No wonder this client came out and was in pieces or, 
no wonder that person hurt themselves at this studio. Like, and I, because I was just shocked about uh, what was happening. So, mm. um, one, things that are no warm up, zero, mm. zero warm up. Mm. I mean, if you're getting a five minute dynamic stretch, like, that's like amazing. <laughs> um, then it was like, you know, right into very advanced exercises right at the beginning. Um, with very little instruction on form and technique, Um, and then very fast pace and very, very many repetitions, Mm. like a lot of repetitions Mm. and not, and no cueing or no telling people what they're supposed to be feeling or, and it was just very rushed. And I mean, I have to say, honestly, most of these places I would leave dripping and sweating in my own you know, I'd be in a puddle of sweat. I mean, I'd be sliding all over the floor, but mm. I'd leave either feeling like that was way too intense for even me as a trainer who's somebody who's fit. And I mean, I'm not super young, but I felt like, okay, I, I can hang hang with this class. Um, and then and I was looking around going, oh my gosh, these people are going to really injure themselves. Uh, or, you know, there was there were other times when... Yeah, I just I didn't think that the instructor was even paying attention or just was following what they got from somebody else and just was just, you know, Plug giving a class. And yeah. um, this is what we're going to do today. X, Y, Z. OK, go, go as hard as you can. Yeah. And it was more of the um, cheerleading right. than it was actual instruction. So I for us, because we are an integrated wellness center and we're trying to get people back into you know, the gym and not re-injure them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was important to me to have classes that aligned with what we were doing in the gym and the personal training, the one-on-one. So uh, we do, if you look at our schedule, we have a lot of yoga and Pilates just because those are a little bit tamer classes and more of the general population can come in and take those classes. And the instructors that teach those classes have education and modifications. And then we have a lot more basic strength classes because I was finding that there's not that many basic strength classes in the city. It's, I mean, really super intense, heavy lifting or, you know, advanced things like kettlebells or, um, yeah, hit classes, hit. CrossFit, you know, those are mm. very advanced modalities. And uh, I think there was a, a I thought that they were people are leaving a big demographic out, people who are out of shape, who haven't worked out in a while, who were injured. And there's not that many classes for those types of people. So, yeah, Jen, oh, it was, it was, it, we've mentioned it before. There was, it was uh, a joke between a physical therapist and I, um, because we would, we were working on the east side and we had a lot of like financial patients, people in the financial industry. So they would take all these really intense classes. And, the, you know, we were trying to joke about the fact that it's, um, they really beat you up in the classes. Mm-hmm. So this this physical therapist and I was talking about, John, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he's like, I'm waiting for a class where it's just basically you go in and they, they have like a, like one of those pool noodles or whatever it is. They just start beating you down <laughs> to the ground. <laughs> and the next day you're like, oh my God, I'm so sore from getting it's not it, It's not too far off. Yeah. It, and, it's, and I think you hit on like a really important thing because exercise, right? Right now, what 
what's coming out is that the skill of movement, the skill of exercise is so important for longevity, for the actual workout, because once you attain that skill and you start to be able to know what, what position you can get yourself in for efficiency and strength, then you can have a workout. Then you mm -hmm. can produce some sort of, you know, like you said, like a graded workout to get you wherever you want to go, run a marathon, lift more weights, whatever it is. But I think I used to work at Equinox. So that's where I did my personal training. And the class, a lot of the classes there were like really, really intense. And yeah. they kind of attract this like, I'm going to provide the most <laughs> challenging class. So the person who comes and who's the most athletic will be challenged. Yep. But those people who haven't even done a class yet are going to be kind of put by the wayside yeah. and maybe get injured or whatever it is. And I agree with you. I feel like the people, the majority of people who take classes are the ones who might not feel that comfortable going into the open floor of the gym yes. and going through a workout. They're the ones who might not know what they're doing as much because they just want to have someone kind of guide them through and they might not be comfortable with a personal trainer yet. Who knows? Whatever it is. So classes like how you're describing that you guys have is is key. Like teach someone how to move, mm -hmm. give them skills, kind of empower them to like, oh, I'll, I'll know what to do if I do this on my own. Yeah. Things like that. That's huge. Yeah. Or even even when people come to our classes, you know, they are smaller. We we didn't purposely keep the studio small, but it just mm -hmm. you know New York City. Um, but now I'm kind of happy that it's small because we cap our classes at 10 people so um, you know the teacher can go around to the students and really give individual attention and that's really what I wanted our yeah. instructors to do and you know a lot of the comments that we're that we get are wow I'm you know we, we didn't really do that much but I'm feeling my muscles and I'm feeling what's supposed to be firing or yes. I'm feeling you know this seemed like a simple exercise but when you do it the right way exactly. um, they feel stuff and yeah. they don't need to be sweating all over the floor and slipping and sliding and or God, oh. if I do another burpee, like I'm like, why so many <laughs> burpees? burpees? burpees. Like have, every I've, class uh, has burpees, and I'm, burpees, burpees, and I'm like, jumps. people with shoulder injuries, back, like, like, no, what, and a burpee is different for for everyone. Yeah, you know, so some, true. some people can't even get down on the on the ground. It's it's burpee, like, it's, yeah, lately. it's like a finisher in every class. It's like, okay, and we're gonna finish with fifty Bur burpees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Lee, Lee touched on a very key part of skill acquisition yes a lot of these classes there's no skill involved i mean you know I, i'll have to admit early in my career um i, I used to make people sweat through the circuits uh, and you know mountain climbers burpees theraclimb people wanted that mm -hmm. burst and i think yeah. as you know time went on that the ability well the understanding of wait a minute we're teaching, you know, these people come to see us two, three times a week. We, we have a unique position to really lay the blueprints for movement. And if we're never laying the blueprints for movement, they're going to be running, you know, the hamster wheel. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we see that th this is a trend. And you mentioned before sustainability. How yeah. sustainable is 50 burpees and five longevity times a week? Yeah. in your body and your sport and your joints. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah it's, it, it's, it's, mm. it's, it's a happy medium. Intensity is important. But learning the skill before that intensity mm -hmm. is critical. And, and you know, it, without the skill, unfortunately, something's going to go wrong. Uh, if not tomorrow, maybe in a year, maybe in five years. Mm -hmm. But uh, pretty cool. I mean, that's that's the trend. And we 
we've participated in it. <laughs> yeah, and and w- w- I had to come to terms. I was like, all right, well, New York is a really stressful place. People want to blow off some steam. I get it, and they feel good afterwards, even though they like who knows what they did to their shoulders <laughs> and their body, and they're dripping in sweat, as you said. And uh, you know, that's the sacrifice that they want to do. But I think once you educate them, be like, you know. You'll be able to do this every once yeah. in a while, but it'll be in a controlled, intelligent way. And yeah. you can maybe do, you know, multiple rounds of sprints and, and, and if they're preparing for running or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but it, it's it's an interesting thing. I feel like early in my career, my training career, since I was like f- fresh as a daisy and like I, I had no knowledge under my belt and I, I wouldn't get a lot of I wouldn't be able to gain a lot of confidence from the client. Um, and you just watch them, you know, come out of these classes and you try to talk to them about, you know, what kind of movements that you did and things like that. But now it's, it's a little different. You can kind of, you're a little bit more armed with information and you, more clients you see, I think you also get a little bit more, um, knowledgeable how to manage personalities. Yes. So in the beginning I was, <laughs> I was more in shock. I'm not from New York originally, I'm from Massachusetts and I was more in shock with this huge intensity personality yeah. and like people did not want to listen to you if you're like you know if you don't have a, a loud voice or, or yeah. you know whatever it is so it's no, managing it's personalities is i mean it's it's what we do as therapists yeah. as well as trainers um your message your message is consistent but the delivery is different mm-hmm. um yeah when dealing with uh, you know where we started our careers on 59th and park you know there's a lot of finance people that just wanted you know, they had an hour. Part of the reason of hiring a personal trainer is efficiency, and they don't want to be wasting their time. They want to get the right information. But the delivery of message is key, and mm-hmm. uh, that, that comes through uh, exp- trial and error. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's our next topic here? So, How many how, how many trainers do you now have working at Physical Equilibrium? Mm. I, you could check the website. I, <laughs> 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 I would say we probably have a, about eight trainers and then we have uh, additional like five or six uh, group instructors that teach yoga, Pilates, that kind of thing. Some of those people also do privates as well mm. and some of the trainers also teach classes. So, uh, yeah, I would say we're around 20-ish people on staff. That's great. Very cool. Um, Very cool to see that growth. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that's, that's probably one of the toughest things as a starting a training business and also physical therapy practice is, you know, hiring, finding the right fit, mm-hmm. people that align with your values, um, high level of trust if you're referring them people. And keeping them, you know, happy around, it's a challenge. Yeah, and especially in this gig economy with everybody, you know, there's a lot of clientele in New York. And um, But, you know, I think that when you run a good facility and you provide your staff with the things that they, the tools that they want and need, um, then they, they realize that it's a good place to stay and be aligned with and the work that you're doing is or the clientele that you're seeing and uh, teaching is is good. And a lot of them have come from big gyms. So they have, I would say most of them have experience working in a big chain gym and they just prefer a small boutique environment. Um, 
Yeah. Whereas the, I've, we've definitely had some, some staff come and try it out and, you know, they're not so excited about teaching to four people in a classroom. They want it. Mm. They want to teach to 20 right. uh. and they want a big classroom and they want to be the star. So but. it doesn't necessarily fit with our, our business model, but, um, so, you know, then those people find their, their place where they, they go. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that the, the large commercial gyms are taking a hit a big hit from the trend of boutique, boutique fitness yeah and um they're, they're taking a hit on multiple levels i mean boutique fitness then you have just concept gyms soul cycle mm-hmm. um crossfit yep. bar mm-hmm. huge emphasis mm. right now right. I mean, yeah. all these different specialty yep. gyms specialty gyms you know whether it, i mean maybe even a boxing martial mm-hmm. art people are definitely branching out Yep. Even Mile High, we were talking about that. So all mm-hmm. of the, for those of you listeners who might not know all the things we just rattled out, it's just the trend in fitness is towards smaller facilities mm-hmm. and more, I guess, a little more one-on-one slash small group uh, training. Yeah. Um, so the big gyms are kind of, and the wild thing is, is cost per session on the boutique is obviously more than, you know, your yearly gym membership. But you're getting a lot more for it. Most importantly, you're getting that attention, that attention to detail, or should be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's highly variable, var- variable between um, different boutique gyms, yes. and it's. I think it's just the the management of how they're run and the staff that people are hiring and um, the quality of workouts that they're delivering to the clientele. Um, you know, often I. You know, when I was doing the research, you know, I was on Instagram a lot and like, mm-hmm. let's see the, see where this girl's, you know, I would follow somebody, oh, where, where's she going today? And I mm-hmm. would, I would see, you know, okay, she's going to this like hot new trendy yoga studio. Let's, I'll go try it out next. Mm-hmm. And then I go and then I'm like, whoa, okay, that's not, I mean, it looks great on Instagram, but like yeah. mm-hmm. not what I was expecting, you know, either, Yeah. It just wasn't, it wasn't hitting the mark as far as quality of instruction that I thought, I mean, yeah, they do a great job at marketing, but. Social media has changed everything. Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't on social media. We were talking about this a little bit last time around time before until 2014. So 2014, I got an Instagram and I I literally just got on Facebook maybe a couple months ago. Um, but now that I'm on Instagram and I'm utilizing it for this podcast, I'm utilizing it for my own um, company, it's really interesting to me what I see on there in terms of trends. And I was talking to a colleague of ours earlier today, and there's a PT. I mean, you see a lot of PTs who have like thousands and thousands of followers, mm-hmm. and they're able to build their business based on just Instagram. Um, and the same thing goes for trainers. They, you know, they have this, um, they either offer on these in- Instagram posts uh, quick little workouts and or information, and that's how they gain their clientele. But it's definitely it's hard to siphon through everything and make sure you're going to get what you know you're getting advertised or whatever it is. But that sounds like the right way to do it. At least try it out, see if it's what is expected to be. <laughs> if not, move on. But um, it's definitely changing mm-hmm. the game. Oh yeah, and I I know a lot of instructors now too who are streaming, either mm-hmm. streaming and just taping um, their workouts for people to subscribe from home or even doing live classes where they have followers that are going to meet them at i don't know 6 a.m and do a do a workout with them live somewhere so wow. i mean that's 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it in the gyms uh, where I've had personal training clients. Like in the studio, a girl would you know set up her iPad and click on it and then like follow whatever was on the screen with the girl doing her. It's mostly, I would say, mm-hmm. high-intensity um, intervals and um, cardio, cardio mm-hmm. dance is very big, mm-hmm. streaming online. Just, you know, you know like you think about like the old – Tybo videos, oh, you know, like Ty-bo. go back to like Tybo oh or the, I mean, God. it's literally the same thing, just re-engineered and remarketed so into something else. But Ty-bo, what was that video set? It had like the numbers in it. <laughs> I don't, I don't. Know I just about. remember the commercial. I remember watching it and seeing him do his P ninety X. P ninety X. Oh my God! Yeah. I would see. There was like a whole slew of patients I used to see. Like I was doing P ninety X and yep. insanity. <laughs> insanity is the next level up. I think insanity. And I actually. Met one of my patients actually was on the, the insanity, and she she swore by the guy yeah. that created. You know, she she met him, and she she was like, he is, and I'm sure he's a great guy. Well, if you do anything for ninety days, you're gonna get in shape too. Exactly. Exactly. If you're you are disciplined enough to do something for ninety days straight, like Something's you're gonna, gonna get good results. Yes, <laughs> this is so yes. true. And if you take a before picture and an after picture, you'll it's see gonna, that. It's going to look different. It's definitely going to look different. <laughs> and if you're 25, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, this this uh, trend, you're right, though. It's being re, repackaged. It's the it same, same situation. I think a lot of the, the simple strength stuff that you were discussing appears to be b- boring for some, right? It appears, I mean, mm-hmm. the, the truth is, you know, there's probably five or six key movements that we've always discussed mm-hmm. in, in fitness that, you know, we do a good job of trying to sell different ways. But if you just do those few movements, you'll be in good shape with permutations and progressions. But um, I think like the general public, can it can be boring to yeah. someone that doesn't know. Um, yeah. I, and that, I, that was also another thing um, right now with your background of PT and strength training. And like I had someone recently who was coming off of an injury and was referred to me from from another physical therapist. And I was trying to let him know that the the movement patterns that I was seeing him do really need to be improved upon, but he wanted to get a workout. So I was like, you have to balance the education with, you know, giving them a workout and not facilitating more injury Mm -hmm. and things like that. So, um, I think that's really hard, and and I I think it's from a lot of misinformation from the, the you know outside world media, and also what their idea of what can be like a, a, a something with longevity, something that's sustainable, and achieving their ultimate goals. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, that's really hard. That's I mean that's what I'm I want I need to make safe sexy. So. Yeah, <laughs> safe sex. That's it. That's it. That and there's so ways true. to do that. Yeah. You know, I think. If you took a look at some of the basic movements, and it, depending on how you sandwich things together, you could pepper in some endorphin release mm-hmm. in those, and where people, you know, feel like they work. As you said, you know, sometimes they feel like they're not doing much, and then the next day they're like, "Wow, things, you know, I'm yeah. sore. I'm, I'm sore. Or I feel, I feel good." Yeah, it's another thing. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have to. Yeah, the concept of having to be laid out in your pool of sweat. Yeah, you know. Uh, Lee Man put me on to um, kettlebell training and, and working. I, I, there was a time where I was working at a gym uh, called Catalyst Sport. Uh, give them a plug. And one of the things, the concepts that were new to me was working at 70%. Mm-hmm. Never really going yep. to 100 And And um, uh, Pavel, 
I don't know his last name. I won't. Satalun. Uh, Pavel, the <laughs> Russian special ops guy who brought kettlebells over to uh, the United States. It's a lot. It, it's simple stuff, and it, it appears like, what am I doing? I'm just holding this weight for 30 seconds, and I'm on my knee, or I'm, I'm doing a farmer's walk, right, mm-hmm. with this weight. What, what's going? I'm crawling on the floor. Yeah. Why am? But the benefits to that were pretty profound. Um, in terms of feeling good, yeah, you finish you're not your work. Yeah, you killing yourself. Not... You can do it again the next day. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and this yeah. kind of methodology of, of um, you know, focusing on form, focusing on breathing, focusing all these little small details um, making huge impact. But uh, I think hopefully, you know, we will be part of this trend to bring, make uh, safe sexy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I do feel like it's changing, just mm-hmm. like we were talking about other stuff, but I, I think it's catching on. I think the popularity of those boutique gyms is one of the signs because, like Eric was saying and you were saying, is that more focus on that one-on-one, you get that more attention, and hopefully with that quality trainer, you're going to get more skill yeah. of the workout. Yeah. Um you guys do you guys do uh, in the months of July and August you do work in the Hamptons as well? Yes. So oh, cool. th- this was our 10th season working in the Hamptons. I've wow. been doing it for 10 years, which is crazy too. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, cool. And yeah, so I started it um, 10 years ago. I had a few clients out there and one of the gyms that I was seeing my clients at, you know, that uh, the owner of that facility needed some extra help too. So he, you know, threw some clients at me to, to work for him too. So I worked for him and for myself. And each year, just, you know, just really for July and August, that's the, the high season out there. So mm-hmm. different years, I did different iterations. Some, a couple of years, I only did one month or I did um, eight weeks or something. This year, the last few years, both Sarah, well, my business partner, her name is Sarah too. So uh, we're both Sarah, Sarah and Sarah. <laughs> and so Sarah has helped me. And so for the last few years, so we swap off and and we're out there for 10 weeks about from the last week of June or first week of July through Labor Day. And we see clientele that's that's from the city that is out there for the summer. or mm. And we also get new clients out there or we see clients out there that we only see in the summer because they live other places or they have their own trainer in the city when they come back and they don't aren't in Midtown. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's it's, great. it's a nice change of pace. I mean... We're still out there working. We work, you know, we work seven days a week when we're out there. I'm so sure, there's, yeah. we rarely have a day off when we're out there. Mm. Although it's, the days aren't as long either. By four o'clock, nobody wants to oh, work out. No. <laughs> no, no. I'm not working till like eight o'clock at night there. So, but That's it's early. Good. It's, you know, people want to work out early, get their workouts in, um, you know, before, before, just after lunch. And then, then they're kind of Going finished. Out. So then, yeah. So we have cool. the, af- we usually have the afternoons downtime family time or you know do what we want to do out there and then you know we know other um practitioners yoga instructors pilates massage people so we we really connect with them too and share business and network and um that's kind of fun too very cool i mean for any of the listeners out there that are trainers in new york or physical therapists in new york summer is is usually a little bit of a slowdown period Mm -hmm. and and part of the reason is because people are away Yep. And there's a large population here in New York that goes to the Hamptons. Yep. So yeah. Sarah kind of just chased her clients, right? You know, <laughs> yeah, she, we did. She, you know, awesome. it's like, hey, well, awesome. that's yeah. smart, though. It's, it's a great, it's a win-win situation where, you know, you have a change of scenery. 
you're still working, but like you said, I mean, it's still it's, it's a summer it's a summer thing. Yeah. It's a little different, but um, you know, you get it's definite. I mean, I know that in the summer from physical therapy, I mean, there's always a little bit of a lull because people are away with their families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I think it's key. Cause I I would hear this a lot from patients where I'd lose them for those months and they would come back and. Uh, something new c- came up or whatever it was, and they just weren't keeping up with their programs. They weren't keeping up with either being active or exercise. So someone who has uh, quality training can be with them out <laughs> there. That's that's super important. Um, you're currently preparing for the New York City Marathon. Yes. How many marathons <laughs> have you done so far I've this o- year? I've only done one other marathon in my life. Oh, Mostly okay. I've, I'm a triathlete, so... Um, when I got into triathlon, I started doing, I started with the sprint distance, then I went to Olympic, mm-hmm. um, kind of hung out at Olympic distance for a while, and um, didn't really want to make the jump to half Ironman distance, uh, but I wanted something more challenging, and that was back, um, you know, like 2010, maybe 2008, 2009, mm-hmm. I did actually the Escape from Alcatraz. Oh, so I did that cool. race. Um, I saw it on TV. It was crazy. I saw it on TV, and I was still with my old coach at the time, and I was watching, and I, you know, I was kind of still fairly new to triathlon. I kind of, maybe I had only been doing triathlon for like three years at that point, and maybe actually even only two, because I think I did the first one in 2008. And so I was fairly new to triathlon, uh, but my boyfriend at the time, when I had finished my last triathlon, you know, and I've crossed the finish line, he looks at me, he goes, you don't, you don't even look tired. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, maybe I should do a longer race then. Oh. If I, you know, like, <laughs> maybe I should run faster. I don't know. But um, so I thought, well, maybe let's t- try to challenge myself. So I saw that was watching on TV. I saw the Escape from Alcatraz come on. And, oh, my gosh, people are jumping into the San Francisco Bay with sharks and swimming Seals, and the freezing, sw- freezing water <laughs> a mile and a half back to shore, like, you know, what the prisoners did. And then, yeah. then we were biking san francisco those hills and running in san francisco and they made it sound so exciting the the news ca- the sportscaster <laughs> and i i had talked to my coach i said do you think i could do this race like i said maybe i'll go out and watch it one year and volunteer and then the mm. next year sign up for it and he goes no you should just put your name in the lottery you you can do it i'll train you if you get in and of course like i got it in that first year <laughs> so i trained to wow. do it and i did it and it was so cool it was i mean definitely the scariest swim i've ever done oh, but sure. now that i have swam that i can swim anything sure. now nothing is nothing is scary and i did that race actually two other times wow um, that's cool so i've stuff. done it three times now so it's such a cool city too so i mean the bike must have been cool do you i know that the, the entrance way to alcatraz where the ferry is mm-hmm. do you guys kind of swim right into that port that pier you, well you get on at that ferry and then they take you uh, around Alcatraz and they play this crazy music while you're on the boat. Like it's like, and the fog is rising. It's like, you know, early morning and it's like the you theme go around. It's really, I mean, and everybody's all keyed up on and like everybody's sardined in there and like hot and sweaty and like in their uh, wetsuit. And you're just like, just want to jump. I couldn't wait to jump off the boat. I was like, get me off Maybe this boat with all these athletes. Yeah, of course they're building up the tension. <laughs> like and so, the you know, they go around Alcatraz and then you come back. And so now you're on the side kind of facing the city and you jump off of the boat they don't have you close to the rocks they kind of make sure that you're further away because the first couple of years they did the race 
they had people stand on the island and jump off and like nobody got very far from the shore. <laughs> people were like caught in the swirling <laughs> currents. Oh, so they rocks. got smart finally and they were like, okay, we're going to start on the boat yeah. and jump off. So ever since they've been jumping off the boat. So you That's jump funny. off the boat into the freezing cold water. It's 50 degrees. It was the coldest, oh. coldest water I've ever swam. And you, your, your hands and your face are like so cold at first. And finally after maybe 90 seconds, they go numb. And then... Then you're okay because you can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. You have you have a full <clears throat> wetsuit on and a full neoprene cap. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first year I did it, there were three foot waves. So that's that's enough. Roller Over your three face. foot waves. Yeah. Um, and I remember I turned on my back at one point and I'm like in the middle of the bay, and I see the Golden Gate Bridge and I see Alcatraz and I'm like in the bay and there's these waves, and I, and I thought. You, Sarah, you better flip over and just keep swimming. You're gonna be out here. <laughs> you don't keep going. You're going to be out here forever. Oh. So I just like, okay, flip over, just keep going. And I, I did actually pretty good on the swim all That's three awesome. times. Um, the bike is challenging, but it's short. It's only 18 miles, but it's very hilly. Mm. And then the run is very challenging too. It's two miles flat, like literally a mile straight up, a mile straight down, wow. a beach run in this really soft, deep sand then you turn around, run back, and then you have to run up these sand stairs with, like, sand on them. Mm. And then you run back That's downhill insane. and then flat to the That's end. Really so it's, 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 it's really like, an escape. It's more like, yeah. It's, <laughs> and it's really cool. When you come from the run back towards, you know, where you finish, you, ca- you crest over the final hill, and you can see Alcatraz and the bridge, and you're like... I, I I was thinking to myself, I swam from there. I was just wow. in that water and That's I swam. So cool. It's really cool. It's wow. it's uh, that was probably like one of the highlights of my triathlon accomplishments. I and would then say. Yeah. and then from there, then I I think then I did the marathon, the New York City Marathon, because I've been coaching actually a charity team also for ten years. Oh, wow. It's called Gilda's Club, and they're down on Houston. It's a charity for people who are living with cancer or who have been affected by cancer. So family members can go and get uh, services for support, uh, support groups, or kids get playtime with other kids who have had family members affected by cancer. Mm. Uh, People who are getting treated can go and they have workshops uh, for all sorts of things, Um, not only support groups, but also like navigating the insurance system and Hmm. um, that kind of thing too. So... Yeah, I don't even want to get. So. This is a positive. This is yeah. a positive podcast. So I mean, they are they they actually are a very positive organization because everything is free. So you, wow. if you are affected by cancer and you want help, you can go there, and everything is one hundred percent free for all their members. So that's, that's awesome. the charity that I'm working for. I'm raising money again for them, and we coach their runners for the marathon, so it's our 10th season doing that. So I'm the head coach along with a few other coaches on our staff, and we just help people. You know, the team isn't huge, Mm. and I don't hand out programs for people to follow because the team is diverse. It's from walkers to you know, several time marathoners who are maybe qualifying for Boston. So the team is a big diversity of runners of abilities. So I help people with their schedules if they have trouble figuring out how to plan or um, we help them with nutrition. We run some long runs together. Mm-hmm. We talk about, you know, places to run in the city or <clears throat> gear, shoes, clothing, that kind of thing. Just preparations, um, helping them 
think of ideas to how to fundraise, that kind of thing. So, How did you get involved mm-hmm. 10 years ago with this? How did it start? <laughs> Just a random occurrence. And it was mm-hmm. I was teaching a class in Central Park. And uh, a girl showed up and took my class, and she had she was working for Gilda's Club, and I think went into work like the next week, and they found out they got marathon charity slots for New York City, and they know how to fundraise, mm-hmm. but then they realized, wait a minute, we're going to get all these runners, and now they have to run the marathon, but nobody here runs, or we don't know how to tell them to prepare for a marathon. So then they were like, we need a running coach. Mm. And uh. that girl was like, oh, I was just at a class with somebody who was a running and triathlon coach. So they called me up. And, and I literally that week before was like, oh, I'm at a point where I think we need to align ourselves with a charity because we uh. should. It was like, it was it's so amazing. It, it just all happened right at the same time. So uh. I was like, perfect. Now I don't need to find one. <laughs> one just fell in my lap. So uh, we've been working with them for 10 years, and it's been great. Very cool. Yeah. we got to put a plug. I think we should. Yeah, i got to write it down for the show notes. Yeah, well, I think. <laughs> the show notes. we got a lot of inside jokes with the show notes. Lee, um, uh, full disclosure. Lee. I think like we should put, we me. could put the postrehab.com. Got it. Yeah, you know, we'll put that plug in. Mike because Jones. Mike Jones, yeah. but we definitely got to put in uh, that charity club. you mentioned. Yep. Yeah, it was pretty pretty cool. But uh, the show notes, we got a lot of jokes <laughs> with the show notes. You know, I, there's a big part of our population that listens, or at least in physical therapy, uh, within physical therapy, there's a focus on evidence. So a lot of people want to know where you know mm-hmm. this information can't is say anything from. without a backing. Yeah, without without <laughs> without some kind of research. Yes, and I you know. As much as I respect the research, um, I do respect um, experience, and and just just experience. So, <laughs> so we're not going to do any show notes today. No, no. Uh, <laughs> but no, but we'll definitely put a plug for all of those. Yeah, um, very cool. Now, marathon training um, different from triathlon training, of course. Yeah, you still do you still utilize swimming and biking while you're marathon yes. training? Yes, and cool. actually, I did this weekend because my knee was a little swollen from oh. probably my last run and uh, you know some strength training and maybe a little virus that I had. So oh. I actually took it easy last weekend. Did a little bit on uh, the stationary bike on the, my Peloton at home, and then also. I went swimming on Sunday, so and my knee felt a little bit better. Although then Eric worked on it, and now it's like back thank, to 100. Thank, thank, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Eric is my was, PT now between now and the marathon. That's very <laughs> cool. That's very, very cool. I'm it's, seeing him at least once a week. Good. It's very exciting. You know, um, the old clinic we used to work a lot on marathoners, and a lot yeah. part of the you know th- I definitely miss that intensity of you know week to week. You know. It, People come on usually about mm-hmm. the time yeah. Sarah came on. I think you did 16? Yeah. 16? 18, yeah. right? There's one we start seeing yeah. them in the clinic. When you're running oh, like three 18, hours. Yeah, three yeah. hours Three hours of running, people yeah. start. Yeah. You'll probably see a spike. Falling apart. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. it's, uh, but, but you're doing the right thing with cross-training, strength yeah. training. Um, Sarah and I have had this discussion, and uh, as with many patients, is she's, she's not just running. And unfortunately, a lot of patients we see – uh, whether it's time constraints or just, you know, uh, misinformation. They may really just not know. Mm-hmm. They're just focused in on a running plan. And that plan includes anywhere from three on the low side, five on the yeah. five on the high side. Yeah, People or even are, six <clears throat> days a week of running I've seen. And it's not, I mean, mm. unless, unless you're really a trained runner, a, an athlete. Yes. Right. 
And there's like a lot, like you said, there's a lot that goes into that. And I don't want to just say it's, it's genetics or body type, but it, 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 it does play. Yeah, it, yeah, it mm-hmm. does play into that. And, um, you know, if you take the average office worker who yeah. doesn't have a running background, they're f- running five, six days a week. You know, you, you hit it on the head in terms of being realistic with planning for something like this. You know, it really, it, it makes all the difference in giving yourself enough time. Mm-hmm. To yep. really increase that load progressive, progressively because eventually, you know, the, the body has to adapt. There's a couple of different ideas about programming for marathons now. And there's some people who don't even come close in the programming to running very long distances, like 18 miles mm-hmm. or 20 miles. Uh, I'd be curious to hear what you feel about it in terms of your experiences with different clients and with yourself. Do you have... Um, if you let's say if you meet with a client and they're interested in running the marathon, and let's say they're a novice at running, um, this might be their first marathon. Are you seeing how they adapt to different runs, and then kind yeah. of taking into account? Yeah, the other I, I think that that's it's highly individual, and that's why on our team for the charity we don't I don't give out I give out a bunch of programs, and I say these are all examples of programs you could follow, mm. but I think it's important for you all to pick your own or rework one of these programs into what fits your current fitness and your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And you have to put in cross training as well and some sort of recovery aspect, whether it's yoga or swimming or, or stretching massage, massage, PT, like um, you definitely need some sort of recovery as well. Mm. Um, But yeah, I mean, and and that's when I work with my private one-on-one clients for endurance racing for whether it's just marathon running or uh, triathlon, um, everybody is on different programs, even if some people are doing the same race because it's mm-hmm. uh, highly individual and they all respond differently to training. Mm-hmm. And the software that I use on Training Peaks is very, very comprehensive. Um, and it even now, a lot of coaches are not even using volume in the sense of uh, duration. Um, just duration or Mm -hmm. it's now it's called training stress score. So it's Mm, volume time and also intensity. So you have Mm. an intensity factor for the specific workout and that gives you one number and then it's the duration of the intensity that you're doing. And that gives you another number and then you combine them together and get that gives you a training stress (coughs) score. Mm. So you could have, a, th- a two-hour super slow run that's the same intensity and dura- or same training stress score on your body as a 30-minute super run. high intensity. So both of those things can break your body down at the same rate. Um, and so that's, that's, that's also um, – so you're working. And then – and. You can also have a stress score for swimming, biking, and running. Obviously, biking and swimming are less than running on your body, so that's why those values are different too. And um, you can peak and taper athletes based on some of those values. So it's very interesting. Uh, I recently went to – you ever heard of uh, juggernaut training systems? They're, like, really big in the strength world. Uh, I recently went to what they called their uh, annual summit. Actually, they may have it a couple times a year. But they're, they're, they're all, most of the team are PhDs in some sort of sports science, exercise science. And there was one guy, uh, and the reason why I'm smiling because they're all very, very funny when they talk, but um, they're like comedians. 
Um, one guy, his his uh, specialty was recovery. So he talked about this these kind of things, and I, I think it's all from the same kind of research because it's putting a number on like their percentage of their max intensity. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so there's, I have to dig it, dig back into the um, PowerPoints, but there is one big article that they really showed um, these these uh, spikes in intensity, whether it be a runner, weightlifter, whatever it is, and they could literally track their injury to those spikes and it's so consistent and they found that if you deviate greater than i want to say 30 35 percent of this percentage the increase of the likelihood of you getting injured is so high uh, versus if you stay within that nice within happy range yep. yeah um but that's so cool that they yeah. have, that's a the variable of stress the variable of recovery i feel is maybe i've been sleep but this is a relative new con- I mean not new but it's something that's being included because if you go to the a- average person that doesn't have experience in training training for a marathon the, the idea of doing is much more of an emphasis like I need to get in X runs and there's no consideration of did I sleep yep. am I stressed out did food. I have food yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. or the re- just, just am I all right, you're running four days a week. What are you doing to recover? Mm-hmm. You know, so it's really cool that they even have like a little algorithm on this. On this. I got to yeah. show you the graph. I, I will pull up that for the show notes. There we yeah. go. Well, he's <laughs> excited about it. He'll, he'll get it done. I can take yeah. some screenshots of my clients too and some of their training and their, awesome. their build up and peak and taper. And there's lots of, I mean, it's it can be crazy um, mm-hmm. analytical. And there's some coaches that really dive into all of the analytics and, I've taken a lot of courses on that, and I still, you know, I st- every time I have an opportunity to take more courses, I still like to go and just sit and relearn things that, you know, I'm sure you guys too, like stuff that's a little more complicated. Just like, let's go hear it again mm-hmm. um, so that you understand it better and you can implement it better for each client. I have a quick question. The, uh, this was asked during the summit for this recovery guy, and I, I totally agree with it. There's so much technology out there now with, like, you know, wearables, mm-hmm. and especially if you're triathlon training, you can put stuff on your bike, mm-hmm. on your arm. Yep. Uh, even while you swim, you get the iWatch that's waterproof now. What's your take on kind of utilizing these tools to help people either keep up with their training, recover better, or even just tracking their progress? Or, or do you feel like there's might be... A lot, uh, kind of overwhelming amount, or do you feel like it's a good? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good thing because if you, in the endurance world, when we only had heart rate, that was one value, Um, and now it's GPS and pace, and so you get to see even the clients mile to mile and or 400 to 400 you get to see their pace and Mm. you see when I coach athletes that don't live locally I have athletes all over the the country so some like some that I've never met before um and you see the type of terrain that they're running on so the intensity of like the hill training they're doing or how long was that hill or that the biking, um, where was it? And the temp, even the temperature of their training is all factored in. Um, so those are all great things that you can utilize when you're, when you're coaching or when you're analyzing the data. So, Mm -hmm. and that all goes into the analytics of it. And that's through training peaks. Training peaks. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, and it syncs all up to your, your, uh, Garmin or whatever. Yeah. Your Garmin or your power tap or whatever Mm -hmm. you have your, um, 
all of your different uh, technology sources and it syncs up to that and then as a coach you get you get like a um, an email or an alert that a client has uploaded data and then you can go in there and see it and the clients mm -hmm. have to put I make my clients put um, little notes like this was a hard workout this was easy I bonked I didn't have enough fluid or I you know whatever so that I know mm -hmm. what was going on and I can kind of pick out pieces or like you know I stopped to go to the bathroom at this mile this is that's why there was a trap off or a mm -hmm. pause in the data um, so then I can see what's happening but um, you know, some of it now, you know, now I build in workouts with specific zones that I want them to hit, whether it's on heart rate or power on the bike or pacing zones on the run. Mm -hmm. And I can see if they hit it or not. So, so cool. a lot of them are now like, you know, you're very accountable when you hire a coach mm -hmm. because, you know, on the other end that your your watch is connect collecting that data and then it's going to yeah. be uploaded and if you don't hit that you know what's your coach going to say yeah that's so. very cool that's it i mean i think with training for a ma i mean I, i've only ran a few half marathons but the accountability factor knowing that i was tracking my run knowing that mm -hmm. you have that there and you have a certain goal but having a, I've, I've never had a coach so having when i did have training sessions with someone it, the accountability factor mm -hmm. It, it makes all the difference, and it makes people work that extra mile, Yeah, mm -hmm. literally. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's made a huge difference. I, I have one. Um, there was through SFG. Um, do you know the, the – Did you you actually might have mentioned it. Push? Do you know that one? Uh, it's, it's basically mm -hmm. you can either put it on your arm or you can put it on a barbell, and it's just tracking. It's I think it's just an accelerometer that just tracks how yeah, quickly okay. you move it. I've seen that, yeah. Um, but the, I just started using that every once in a while if mm. I do, like, a swing workout with a kettlebell, and it will show you if you do multiple reps, it will show you kind of where you either dip down or you had, like, a high movement or whatever it is. Um, but you could see over the course of 10 minutes, we either fatigue or not fatigued. Find it interesting. Does yeah, it, that's very interesting. That? Yeah, I, I mean, in the endurance world, it's there's a lot. Of, I feel like there's a lot of technology, but there in the strength world, I don't know. There's not that much. That's yeah. really no, interesting. That's a relatively new thing. Yeah. I, I saw a gentleman. I think I told you about it two years ago. Strength and conditioning guy, and he had an accelerometer on his client's wrist or elbow, uh -huh. and they were looking at like a power clean. Where, where do you? Is it on your phone or is it like a it's, like a Fitbit? It, it, yeah, it connects through Bluetooth. Uh, to my phone, and this was uh, I borrowed it from an, a colleague of mine, and I, th I either can put it on my wrist or put it on my if I do like jumps or something, I can put it on my belt or the back of the shorts, um, and you you plug in where it is, and it's supposed to give you some measurement off that, and I have to put in my height and my weight and stuff like that. Um, and but yeah, when you described it, didn't they also put it on the bar? Yes. Yeah. So they were looking at you know speed mm -hmm. uh, of the bar. Mm -hmm. Another tool. Do they still have dorsa V? Mm, yeah. But, uh, then, I mean, uh, <laughs> the reason why <laughs> I'm <laughs> no, th this is more of a a PT. This is like a, a PT tool. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, anybody can use it, but it was basically like a little sensor you would put on your calf. Uh, it was. I think it was a couple of sensors. It was a couple of sensors, yeah. So you could see ground reaction force. You could see cadence. You could see if the person's pushing more weight on one side than the other. You can use it on their paraspinals. So mm -hmm. while they're running, you could see if there's increased paraspinal activity. It was a lot of data. It and was, it was a, a lot, lot of data. I mean, <clears throat> for, um, for a busy PT clinic, the setup 
took a long time. Took yeah. a long time. Yeah. It would take a half. I mean, it, it would. It's something that that requires cash base. It, it requires a one on one for an hour, hour yeah. and a half. I don't know how sick. I, I, they might be wildly successful. I don't know, but I, I, don't, I haven't looked into the company. But we've tried to implement it in our clinic a couple times, and it's there's always something wrong. Like I don't, I don't think I can remember where there was one time that was like on, spot on or it worked yeah. perfectly. And you have to basically use these brand new stickies each time. So these brand new stickies you have to pull apart. You put it on people. Someone like me who has a lot of hair in my legs. Yeah. It's not going to stay on. You got to tape it up. You got to tape, tape it up. <laughs> that that's oh, an issue yeah, in itself. Yeah. <laughs> and then the computer might not work. It's yeah. like this back and yeah. forth. So. But the program, some of the the fitness programs and all the apps, they're pretty easy and clean. Like the tracking apps mm-hmm. on the phone. I mean, yep. yeah. pretty seamless. Um, but this was a very fancy, very fancy, yeah. very expensive. expensive, very expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I was in stereo sound, but it was it was very expensive. <laughs> Yeah, we, we had an interesting experience with that. Running gate. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. This is something we like to look at a lot as PTs. We'll record people slow motion. Yep. Do you guys check out running gate? When I do, yeah. And I'll do it just on my iPhone. I just take uh, slow-mo wa- walking um, and then running both with shoes and with no shoes, too. Oh, Very nice. Barefoot. Very cool. Sometimes the shoes change people's. Oh, they do, yeah. Foot position, gait, um, landing pattern. Mm-hmm. We, we um, remember Coach's Eye? I, I still have Yeah, that. I still use that. That is a really cool, cheap, I think it's it like $5.99, I think. Um, really cool HD, uh, I'll show it to you. Um, I mean, it slow mows, but mm-hmm. it really, you could actually, um, I've done this with clients where you, you could edit on top of it and give them cues, oh, verbal yeah. cues or... Mm-hmm. Make little lines, little squiggles. My favorite thing about that is you could do a side by side, so you can take like I've done a before and after, like yep. after a couple of weeks, and I'll take both of the videos, put it right next to each other, and then you could time it perfectly in slow motion, so you could see the exact same foot landing or whatever it is. Cheap, um, cheap app for yeah. all of that technology. Can you use that for strength training too? Absolutely. Like someone in like demonstrating a squat or something. Absolutely. That would be great. It, it, yeah, it's really it's uh, yeah. You, yes. I could probably pull up a video. Um, but yeah, no, I, I found this extremely valuable, valuable. We'll collect the royalties on this soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're given a, a lot of plugs here, which is good. So um, this is one of my side by sides that I did for a post and I could just line up the, the, um, each oh, one. This is ridiculous. Mm. Oh, okay, cool. And then I think, well, I think I have to, s- this is the video I already made. So I think I have to split it again. But that's just an yeah. example. Those are two different videos. Yeah, that would be really helpful for us with our, um, you know, when you teach somebody proper mechanics on certain exercises. Visual feedback. Yeah. I mean, I, that I've used it probably more. I usually used to use it a lot for running, running but then yeah. I, w- I started working on with with personal training clients and showing them like, whoa. Yeah, my head is really forward. I'm like, oh, that's what I'm seeing. <laughs> this, is what I see. <laughs> this is what I'm seeing. But it, it's again, what we're discussing here is using technology to kind mm-hmm. of to improve what we do, yeah. which is really cool. I mean, definitely didn't exist when we started it. No. Uh, you know, back in the day. Uh, but it, this is leveraging technology. Yeah. Uh, to, at, its, at its best. I thought that was cool. Running shoes. Do you do you have uh, um, a favorite group of companies that you recommend, or do you recommend yes. them go to a running store? I mean, definitely go get to a running store and get fit properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally like uh, Brooks. 
Mm-hmm. And but I've also worn I think Saucony is a good I've heard people really like New Balance. So those I would say are probably the top three. Um but there's some new ones out there now though too. There's some new companies coming out with some some cool stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um but those are kind of the workhorses in running and then Yeah, I think yeah. it, it there's so many out there and I think as you said, like sending one of my go to's is sending client to a running store and then explaining there's going to be a, a wide variety <clears throat> most importantly you have to feel comfortable mm-hmm. um some of the ultra people have these what, what were the shoes what the hell were they um did francis used to talk about the no but uh, the they theme? were like the super cushion i mean these are for people oh the hookah are, Hookah, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. So, you have to I mean, say it with, no. <laughs> you use that, that yeah. little extra breath. But those, you know, on the surface of it, I wouldn't agree with it. But at the same token, I've never ran 100 miles. So, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. um, so it, it, it's big within that ultra community. Mm-hmm. It, is. it was an interesting concept. From my understanding, it came out primarily for people who wanted to do recovery runs but didn't want to lose whatever support they were having or, uh, I'm sorry, whatever... Uh, lack of support so like let's say if they ran a neutral shoe or somewhat of a minimal shoe i think hookahs had more options where all they did was thicken what you what you had on the bottom but you didn't change your your ratio from heel i to see yeah um but it was very interesting yeah i mean i think everybody's highly individual and yeah. um exactly. people's feet are different shapes and uh, different arches and arch mm. support and i think people need to um just you know try different ones out and see what works for them and even i mean i i would say even you know think about your socks too so socks and blisters and investing um, investing in socks is something that that can be underrated with an amateur runner um i remember starting with the half marathon i'm like i'm just gonna use my regular socks and then i went to the running store and i was like whoa they're $20 $20 socks, but I can't... <laughs> it's night and day difference. Oh, it's a night and day features. difference. Oh, you use features? I use oh features. Uh, but there's an Italian there's an Italian brand with a B, I think. Bombas now. They're oh, I haven't Bombas, heard that one. Yeah. Features, I think you had put me on features. I, Just even the Iron Man has their own socks out. Yeah. So. Socks do make mm-hmm. a huge difference. Um, invest. You know, it may be expensive, but it's it's more expensive when you have your you don't want paint of, yeah. blisters. You don't and, want blisters. No. no. <laughs> it's amazing how that little, small little thing like that can change everything. If you have a little a blister somewhere and you start changing your gait, you can just throw out your back. Yeah, and another <laughs> and another um, you know, this basic information is, you know, changing your sneakers prior to a marathon or a race is not a good idea. But changing changing your sneakers yeah. in general if you're a runner has to be something very gradual. Um that that we see a lot, I've seen a lot of injuries with people that change their gear last mm-hmm. minute. I mean, that's some kind of uh, real basic information that yep. you know to an amateur. Yeah. So this is our question and answer uh, period. <laughs> All right. Number one. <laughs> What's your favorite anatomical turn? Hmm. <laughs> anatomical term. Yeah. I don't know. I I, was, I guess glutes because glutes, glutes, glutes are, glutes. it's all the rage now. Yeah. Glutes, glutes are the rage. <laughs> Very good answer. <laughs> all right. Oops. 
What athlete inspires you most? And it can be, I got to reword that. It can be either the athlete or the athlete of the sport. Or, sorry, the sport. <laughs> the athlete like, of the sport. Like, basically, like, like a tennis athlete can be your answer. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? It doesn't or, have to okay, be a specific Well, I mean, I would definitely go for the Ironman athlete. Um, cool. Very cool. And just because that's, you know... What goes into the, it. the type of activity that I've been doing? I mean, I I actually have not myself completed an Ironman, mostly seventy point threes, so half Ironman. But um, definitely the time and dedication that it takes to train for a race like that, um, and preparation and and then maintenance, which we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So and they, it's an underrated sport. Like these pros don't really get paid very much, and it's expensive yeah, actually. It's I mean, I would say yeah. it's an expensive yeah, your they bike. They pay a lot. They pay a lot. Yeah, all the equipment, your bike, and flying around to places, and yeah. A, a good test usually of like how popular a sport is if you ask someone who might not be in the field of you know physical therapy training or whatever, uh, name a, a well-known triathlon, a triathlete. Triathlete, yeah. And uh, I can't think of one myself. I can't. I just know you know my old patient who's a great guy, but uh, <laughs> I'm not gonna mention him. But um, yeah, you're right. You, you can't name. The There's top. a lot. I mean. Like Andy Potts is one. He's American. Mm-hmm. That um, sounds familiar. Chrissy Wellington. She. I've heard I of mean, her. she wrote books and won okay. the Ironman Hawaii several times. I mean, there's a lot of other um, pro triathletes that are that are men that are um, very well known, well known too. Got yeah. it. But still not very well known too. Yeah. A little added question: Would you ever want to do Kona? Um, well, I've been to Hawaii a few times, and I love it there. <laughs> Um, I won't qualify for, for the full Ironman. I'm just not that fast. So okay. I'm, I'm a mediocre athlete at all three sports. So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's all right. um I, but I, I, I would like, they do have a 70.3 that you can just enter and I okay. would like to do a ha- the half. I think the half is a good distance. So the half is a 1.2 mile swim, a 56 mile bike, and then a half marathon run. Wow. And then you could enjoy Hawaii after yeah. that. Yeah. And it's like dying. a six hour event, but you know, so. That's good. Still, that's. It's like a half of a day, so. It's a long yeah. day, as we've heard. <laughs> at, we, we, knew a, we knew a triathlete at one yeah. point. Yeah. They did it twice. Wild. That's impressive. Yeah. Next question is more TV movie stuff, but I will ask anyways. Pickle Rick, Tiny Rick, or Don't Know? I don't know. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Sarah. So uh, still haven't researched pickle. Ra- I, I have. To, I, you know, I, I I should research. This is my podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. So uh, Rick I and Morty. This is an inside joke. Yeah. Yes. Have you have you ever heard of or seen Rick and Morty the show? I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. It's it's like a really popular. It's a cartoon show, but it's also it's like geared towards adults. Yeah, um, I'm sure my husband has seen it. <laughs> <laughs> it's gaining a lot of popularity. They just won an Emmy for one of their episodes. It happens to be Pickle Rick. Okay. Um, yeah, so these are the names of the episodes, Pickle Rick and Tiny Rick. Um, so, yeah. All right. So, deep question. If you were to meet yourself 15 years ago, what advice would you give yourself? Um, I think just stay on the same path that I was on. Like, And I, I would say, you know, t- keep your eyes open. And look out for opportunities that come, up, you know, upon you. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it's cool nice. stuff. 
And last but not least, what's your uh, best athletic achievement? I mean, I think jumping into the San Francisco Bay. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) I would Swimming back to shore. Um, That's incredible. Yeah, that's probably the coolest thing I've done. 50 degree water. It is freezing. With sharks, (laughs) seals. I mean, seals look cute. From the pier, I, she I don't said know sharks, and you're like and seals. <laughs> no, because the seals are a thing over there, right? I mean, they're yes. humongous. Yeah. Do they, they like bump into you, or I, I don't know. They don't. I, would... I mean, there's two thousand athletes jumping off of the ferry boat with other boats in the water, and like jet skis and kayakers and there's like there's a, lot of there's a lot of people in there, and supposedly they say they send off like some sound bombs to like get the sharks to go away but i'm telling you i'm worried about the seals the <laughs> seals are man i'd be all the sharks, the sharks. but yeah. um it does make you swim fast i'm, I'm like sure. let me get out of this oh, water that's <laughs> wild I, I recently was in san diego and uh we were at mission beach and i took a surf lesson mm-hmm. and in my opinion i did horribly only because i like i failed the as soon as the instructor brought me out to the real waves totally flunked but he brought me out to where like there's this calm water like we were before the waves and we're sitting on the on the surfboards and apparently Mission Bay is known for like not having any shark attacks but I didn't know this so <laughs> as, as soon as I set up on my board and I put my legs on the outside of the board and we're sitting there he's, he was like talking to me the first thing I thought of was when I watched the shark documentary a while back to like sharks are attracted to surfers because they look like seals with their legs <laughs> hanging up. and I started to panic and the guy's like listen there's no sharks out here he's like I've been here for 20 years whatever it is I haven't seen a shark but so if I was in that I think I'd be freaking out, or at least I'd have to get over some some fears of sharks. <laughs> that's wild stuff. That, that's very cool. Yeah. Um, before we finish up, any other? Oh, uh, well, actually, if someone wanted to reach out, either for training, coaching, whatever it may be, what's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, they can find Physical Equilibrium on the web, where you know our gym is in Midtown on Fifty Third between Park and Madison mm-hmm. at the Five One Five Madison Avenue building. So they can go to our website, connect through um, our contact page, or give us a call. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. So they can find us there, too. Cool. We'll be putting that in the show. Yes, for sure. We'll do all that. Sarah, thank you for coming thank on. Thank you. Thank you. It was a blast. Yep. Appreciate yeah. it. We'll Sorry. have the other Sarah on soon. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was, you, you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> coming to uh, the podcast will be Sarah number two. Well, Sarah Curry. Yes. Um <laughs> And we'll get her take on things. Yeah, I'm more of the endurance athlete, and she's the bodybuilder and dietitian. So you'll get a whole That'd be awesome. different take on Very on cool. her training, what she does. She's um, also she's done a lot of fitness comp. She's done some comps. Yeah, she's yeah, and she's preparing for one right now. And um, yeah, she but she actually has done marathons and triathlons before. So she kind of wow. she's kind of switched back to her roots of strength and conditioning. Um, focused rather than endurance sports. Very cool. cool. Stay tuned. <laughs> Thank right. you guys Thank for you. listening. Thank Appreciate you for listening. It. Signing off. Thank you for listening to A Few Good Physios. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook. Follow us each week while we interview guests and have clinical commentary. 